what I think is really neat about our community is that um, we use language like priesthood of all believers. And what we mean by that is that we believe everyone in this room uh, has been called to do God's work and that no one's exempt from that. And if you uh, love Jesus and you want to follow him with your life, you've been called to participate in his mission. And so the, the like, the subtext or the theme of the staff is often the language of priesthood. And so we say that we exist to empower the priesthood of all believers to engage the mission. So our job is to empower and equip. And um, I know all of you know Pastor Matty and, and Pastor Nick, and they are going through a really, really difficult season in their life as they're saying goodbye to Maddie's mom who has been suffering from a terminal brain tumor for the past couple of years. And uh, her mom is in steep decline. And so um, I just want to take a moment before we jump into today's text to just pray for Maddie and Nick, these, these people that we've, uh, we love dearly and we trust to lead us in worship and in spiritual formation regularly. And uh, my heart breaks for them because they're having to say goodbye to their mom far too early. And that hurts. The, the beauty, of course, is that Maddie and Nick are not here, and the people that they've empowered and equipped for so much time now are leading just fine in their place. So there's beauty to that, of course. So let me just open us in a word of prayer. I know Nick and Maddie are listening in right now as they're present with their mom, uh, who um, is expected to move on at, at any time. And so let's just pray for them, okay? And then we'll jump into today's text. And so Oh, Spirit of God, uh, I know that you love us, and I know that you're here with us, and I know that you love every human and soul in this room. I know that you love Nick and Maddie, and I know that they didn't know that I was going to pray for them like this, uh, but I do pray right now, Spirit, that you just be ever-present with them uh, in what is probably the hardest chapter of, of their life. Um, and so, Lord, it's just amazing to me uh, to see how your Spirit has touched this community to raise up a priesthood to empower all people in, in this room under the sound of my voice to participate in your mission in meaningful and impactful ways, God. And so I just pray uh, that as Maddie and Nick are present with Maddie's mom, that all these moments and days would be just precious and every moment would be appreciated. Every day is a gift, God, and we just acknowledge that. And so I just pray for any human soul in this room that is hungry uh, for the grace that your eyes present us, the truth that your word presents us, Father, that your spirit would not just be in the room, but be in our hearts, moving us ever closer into your presence, Jesus. And so thanks for today. We're excited to jump into a new uh, few weeks study about who you are, Christ. Uh, just be with Nick and Maddie this morning. We love you dearly. Together we said, amen. The text I'll be in is in John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. So you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. Before I get there, uh, to introduce the concept be behind what we're trying to do for over the next few weeks is really just try to present Jesus the way that the Bible does. The tragedy of, of, of any communication around Jesus is that Jesus tends to uh, assimilate to cultures rather than cultures assimilate to Jesus. And so what we've seen in the American West, we've seen this across the globe. We've seen this throughout entireties of church history and someone who nerds out in church history, we've seen this regularly throughout church history, that uh, cultures all over the globe uh, tend to have Jesus assimilated into their norm rather than the culture assimilate into Jesus' norm. And, uh, American and America's, America in the West is, is no different from, from that. 
And we are just as susceptible as any other time in church history or any other era in church history. And so my hope and prayer is that especially if you were here over the weekend last Easter, and can we just say thanks to God for the five baptisms last weekend? Oh my gosh. Talk about new, fresh life and energy. That was just incredible. And if you were here as a guest for the first time at Easter, you heard the name of Jesus. And a lot of things come to mind when you hear the name of Jesus. And in the wrong environment, it can suck the air out of the room, right? In the right environment, it gets like amens and claps and energy and enthusiasm. So my hope and prayer is that over these next few weeks, as Raven and I communicate this Christology or this study of the intimate details and nature of who Jesus is, that you might get to know Jesus as he's presented in the Bible rather than him being presented by culture or society. Because you could go to different places throughout and over the globe and discover Jesus is experienced and presented in a, in a variety of ways. Well, the one sure, true way that we can experience Jesus in our life is if we allow the living, breathing Word of God to present Him, right? And have the Holy Spirit confirm that and communicate that to us regularly. So let me start off by giving you a, a, a fun little analogy. I am a husband. I am a father, and I'm a pastor. These are my three primary responsibilities, okay? But I am just one person. And as a husband, I delight in companionship with my wife, Ashley, and our partnership to build a family together, co-labor together in the work of ministry, and just in general, uh, build a life together. I am strong where she is weak. She is strong where I am weak. And praise God for that. <laughs> And I'm so happy about that. And, and when I am present with my wife, and when my wife is present with me, we do our best to remain undistracted, to be present with each other. That same concept applies in my fatherhood. And for you dads and mothers out there, you'll understand this, this concept of your children demand so much attention from you and care from you, and that's all beautiful and good. I mean, we're parents. That's your responsibility is to be present with your children. But it's really tough to be present with your spouse and with your present with your children at the very same time. Can I get an amen? I know uh, some of you young, yeah. Some of y'all got young kids. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? okay, that's exasperated when you put work, when you put your career into the, into the variable uh, mix of that. So I'm a pastor, and it's very, very difficult for me to be present with my children when I'm fulfilling my pastoral duties. It's very, very difficult for me to be present with my spouse when I'm fulfilling my duties for my children. Actually, I work really hard, and I think most of you do too, that when you leave your office, wherever your office is, and you, and you get home, and maybe it's like, I'm going to get home just in time for dinner, it's quite difficult to like turn off, isn't it? It's difficult to like take your phone and put it in a drawer or put it on your bedside table or just like get it out of your presence because we live in a world where the office follows you wherever you go, right? And so it's extra difficult to be present with your spouse or present with your kids when you're still thinking in your, uh, your work mindset, okay? And so if I'm able to put down my phone 
And if I'm able to be present with my, my, my children, my children smile and have a good time because I'm wearing my dad hat. Now, if I can actually get my kids to bed, um, which is a war every single night, and if my wife and I don't have, uh, if we're not too tired, we can typically find 30, 45, even an hour or more time to just connect undistracted. It's a beautiful gift. <laughs> it's a wonderful gift. And I'm able to put on a husband hat. And when I get to the office on Monday, and my work week is Monday through, through thir- excuse me, Sunday through uh, Thursday, I'm able to operate with my pastoral hat. Here, here's what I've discovered is really true about the human experience, the human condition. It's really tough for us to wear our multiple hats at the same time. All of you wear multiple hats. Each of you fulfill different responsibilities and functions. You're a mom. You've got wonderful but loud children, right? Right? You're a, you're a father, and you're an incredible dad when you're present with, with your children. It's beautiful. But your time, right? You are pulled in a thousand different directions. And so it's really tough to wear the dad hat and the work hat simultaneously. It's even tougher to wear the dad hat, the, the husband hat, and the work hat simultaneously. So just, I want you to contextualize, it, like, to contextualize this for your world. I'm using a lot of uh, you know, language that's specific to my context, but I want you to take that idea. You wear multiple hats. If you wear those multiple hats and you wear them at the same time, Ultimately, one of the things or persons in your world will suffer. And that's just reality, because it's really hard to be present in two places at the same time. Okay? Now, Jesus also wears multiple hats. But he wears them all at the same time. There's a huge difference between Jesus and us. Even though Jesus is fully man, so has all of the human attributes, he's also fully God, which means he has all of the God attributes. And he wears multiple hats, but he wears them successfully each and at the same time, and nothing suffers. Why is this so important? It's important because the Easter event and I was telling the team this morning, I was like, I feel like I have a little bit of like Easter hangover, like the energy and the enthusiasm that comes from Easter Sunday morning. It's like, but, but I feel like this morning we're just supposed to discover what it is the Holy Spirit wants to say and do and what's next for this local church. What's next for the kingdom of God? The Easter event and the empty tomb event are directly connected to Jesus wearing all of his hats and wearing them at the same time, and no one suffers. He can fulfill multiple responsibilities and fulfill them all at the very same time. He wears this hat, this hat, and this hat, and he doesn't have to do what we have to do. We have to take one hat off to put another hat on to be successful and present in the multiple responsibilities that you have in your life. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He wears the multiple hats, and he wears them at the same time. So now let's talk about why this is just so critical 
Let me give you a little bit of history first. There's a theological Latin term, and it sounds like this, munis triplex. Look at your neighbor and say, munis triplex. That's not a terrible, you guys are just not good at saying that. So, munis triplex, it sounded like you said mucus triplex. Munis triplex is the Latin, and it means the triple cure. You see, in the Old Testament, a man could be a prophet, a man could be a priest, and a man could be a king. But they could never be all three or a combination of the two at the same time. Jesus, on the other hand, is all three harmoniously at the same time. Take a look at this graphic. This will help you understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about. As you can see in the Old Testament, a prophet was someone who spoke the message of God to God's people. An example of that would be Samuel. A priest in the Old Testament is someone who would reconcile God and humanity. An example of that would have been Aaron. A king in the Old Testament would have ruled humanity on behalf of God. An example of that would have been David. Now the cross is a little misleading. It doesn't split the time there. It's just the cross is just the primary symbol uh, uh, for this graphic. But if you look on the other side, you'll see how a prophet and a priest and a king is fulfilled by Jesus. And he fulfills them all and at the same time. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the first one, the prophet. Because of God's expansive love for you, there's an incredible implication here. The implication is that Although Christ's commitment to you is commensurate, which means proportional, with the cross, it is not consolidated at the cross. The power of Easter is the cross and the empty tomb. But the power of the cross and the empty tomb is Jesus fulfilling these distinct responsibilities and all at the same time. His love for you is extremely deep. And the cross and the empty tomb are proof of that. And his love for you is incredibly wide. And his offices of ministry, of prophet, priest, and king, are proof of that. So now that you have an understanding of where we're going in this creative, new, kind of fun-flavored Sunday morning series titled Masterclass, for three weeks we're just going to offer an abbreviated masterclass of Jesus and the distinct, unique responsibilities that he had that led to the cross event, led to the empty tomb event, and led to the Holy Spirit descending and being on God's people. I think, I think that there's probably some people in this room that when you get to know Jesus as described and taught in God's word, I think you'll get to know a king who's a little less like the culture you grew up in and a little more like the Bible that teaches him. I want you to know Jesus. And I want you to know Jesus by the way he describes himself. We want to give Jesus the permission to teach us what he is like. 
putting all other variables aside just for a few weeks and just say, okay, I, I want no other influential variables. I just want Jesus. I want him to teach who he is to me. And I think that you would get to know a God-man who's crazy about your heart. And of course, the cross and empty tomb prove that, but the prophetic ministry of Jesus, the priestly and the kingly ministry of Jesus speaks too. So let's, let's go to prayer. We'll jump into the text and we'll start to unravel this incredible mystery. Oh God, thank you for your living word. We are so grateful that you have uh, given us the gift of today and the gift of your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for what you're doing in many churches throughout the state of Indiana. May you just choose this church as well to add a thousand spirit-filled people to Indiana by 2030. We just want to humbly come before you, God, and cry out to you and seek your face. And it's so easy sometimes to allow society or culture or even pop culture to begin to describe who you are. We just want to know you. We just want to be in your presence. We want to seek your face and understand who you are by way of your word. And so, God, I pray that if any human soul in this room this morning just needs to get to know you a bit better, but by your word, God, I pray that you would just break through in their hearts right now. I pray that you'd raise up a kingdom of priests, a priesthood of believers to be present in their communities, to love their neighbors well, to seek your face above all things, Jesus, to call upon your power and upon your name, to be in their families, communities, neighborhoods, and, and places of work. So God, we love you. We trust that your word will speak clearly and powerfully to us now because we know it doesn't return void. So God, be with me as a simple communicator. Nothing more, Jesus. We give you the rest of this time. Together we said, amen. John chapter 8 in verse 21. Let me set the scene up for you just for a moment. So Jesus is in the Mount of Olives and he's having this discussion with his disciples. And he's teaching the disciples this idea that would have been really difficult for the disciples to agree. He is teaching the disciples that I am the prophet. I am communicating to you what I hear from God the Father. I imagine the disciples are like, what is he talking about? God the Father, Yahweh, has already spoken in the Torah, the law. Well, I don't know why. The, we don't need to add any more to this. So the, the confusion is the subtext in this passage. So let's work it out here. This is John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. It says, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I'm he, you will indeed die in your sins. I can only imagine a disciple being like, oh, I got to believe that you are he. Who's he? Okay. Verse 25. Who are you? They asked. Quote, Jesus, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Jesus replied, I have much to say to you in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. I love like the human part of snarky Jesus that comes out, right? 
like the, the God man, Jesus, when he comes out, he's like, I just, I just want to like, just judge you right now, but I'm not gonna, because I know God, the father wants to speak through me to you. And there's like this, like Jesus, like holding himself back of like ripping into them. Like, how do you not get this guys? Okay. Verse 27. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you will, then you will know, referring to lifting him up on the cross, by the way, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak. That's the key word there, church family. But speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what he pleases. Even as he, again, the word spoke, Many believed in him. Jesus is describing to his disciples this curious dynamic that Jesus and his father have. There's this really unique dynamic going on here. Jesus is only going to speak to the disciples what he hears from the father. That is the role of a prophet. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, up until the point of Jesus' ministry, the prophetic ministry of the major prophets that had a lot of Scripture in the Old Testament and the minor prophets who had a little bit less Scripture in the Old Testament. One was not varsity, one was not junior varsity, but just length of time. So the major prophets and the minor prophets would do three things, church family. They would give a word of comfort. They would give a word of warning and they would give a word of prediction. That was the ministry of a prophet. So you maybe have seen our our super cool hoodies that say 213 on them. That came from a moment when we read Joel 213, where it says, rend your hearts. What Joel was describing and teaching to the Hebrew nation was that the one thing God wants from you as Assyria to the north is about to invade is for not you to be pomp and polished and just go through inauthentic routine, but instead stop ripping your garments. That's a show of um, spirituality that means nothing. Rend your hearts instead. This was the ministry of a prophet. The ministry of a prophet would give a word of comfort, a word of warning, or a word of prediction. Jesus does all of three of these things. And most specifically, the prophet in the Old Testament only spoke what God the Father wanted them to speak. And if a prophet was not speaking what God the Father wanted to speak, it was communally discerned and left out of the community because false prophets existed then too. So there was a certain amount of criteria that had to be met on the the, the office of a prophet for it to be accepted and embraced into the community and ultimately, ultimately to become scripture. That is the ministry of a prophet in the Old Testament. So Jesus takes the human part of that assignment and combines it with the God part of his assignment. This is the unique and mysterious power of what is called the hypostatic union. Y'all just got smarter hearing that term. Hypostatic union. All of the human attributes 
and all of the God attributes in one hypostasis, one state of reality. It's the mysterious and personal union of Jesus's two natures. This is so mysterious. It's, it's stumped theologians for thousands of years and hundreds and hundreds of books have been written about this to try to understand that mystery. And well, part of it is just faith. Part of it is just allowing God's word to speak to us and allow our hearts to, to believe it. Now, hypostatic union, that phrase isn't even in God's word. And so it's really just a little bit of a lesson for you, but it describes the deep and personal mystery. You have all of the human attributes. I have, ask my wife, I have all of the human attributes. But Jesus has all of the human attributes and all of the divine ones too. And that mysterious and personal harmony of the two is that hypostatic union. That is what makes him worthy of your worship. That's what makes him worthy of your entire life. That's what makes him worthy of sacrificing your money and your time and your talent and your involvement in your local church. That's what makes him worthy of you crying out to him in the middle of the night or bowing before him in worship and song or contrition and prayer or confession, forgiveness. That's what makes him worthy. He's fully man, fully human, just like you. And he's fully divine, having all of the God attributes, making him nothing like you. That is the mystery of the hypostatic union. He takes the word of the prophetic ministry in the Old Testament and brings it in a divine way. Now, there's a little bit more here going on because Jesus just made a claim to the disciples. Only he would speak what God the Father would communicate to him. That means that we can only hear God the Father now through the voice of Jesus. There's an implication there. Let's talk about it. It's impossible to know God without knowing Jesus. Because Jesus reveals God. I've heard people say something to the effect of, I'm good with God, it's just Jesus I don't quite know about. And you're good with God? Are you sure you're good with God? Because without Jesus, you've really never met him. You don't really know. Your understanding of God is limited to your environmental variables. You can only know God through Jesus. You can only know God through Jesus. Well, Luke, what about all the people in the Old Testament? How are they supposed to know God? Well, you see, God never changes, but his strategy does. And so God doesn't speak audibly anymore like he did in the Old Testament because he doesn't have to, because Jesus God used to show up in fire and pillars of smoke in the Old Testament. He doesn't do that anymore because he doesn't have to, because Jesus. God's character, heart, and mercy never changes. But his strategy evolved all throughout Scripture to speak intentionally 
to the humans that he was interacting with at the time. So if you are good with God and you are in this room, my question for you is, are you? Are you good with God? How could you know that? You've never met him if you've not met Jesus. You don't know until you've met Jesus. Many years ago, I had a friend say that he was spiritual. Now, knowing my friend, I knew full well what he meant. I go, oh, that's awesome. What's the name of the spirit you talk to and listen to? My friend gave me a funny look. <laughs> all the major prophets, all the minor prophets, revealed the message of, messages of God. And they ranged from comfort and warning and prediction. And Jesus does this too. But Jesus reveals not only the message of God in his prophetic ministry, but he reveals God himself. That's a big difference from the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. When these prophets, just like Joel, revealed the message of God to the people, Jesus reveals the message and the person of God to the people. Wouldn't it have been nice I, I actually can't wait to have the opportunity to perhaps be in eternity and ask Peter something to the extent of, hey, what was it like speaking with Jesus, being chastised by Jesus? Like, did it ever get awkward? Like, did he, like, break personal barriers in space with you? Like, did he make eye contact too long? Like, what was it like? Like, being in Jesus' like, personal space and him being in your personal space? Like, what was that like? I can only imagine Peter saying something to the effect of, yeah, 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 it was great. It was great. But what's it like to have an organized church? What's it like to have an organized and accessible and at any time the remarkable library that we call the Bible? I imagine Peter saying something to the effect of, yeah, 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 you, I got to camp and eat and hang with, with Jesus in the flesh. But remember, Luke, we both had the Holy Spirit. And Peter would be right. The prophetic ministry of the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament was initiated. They initiated God's message to humans. Jesus took that from the administrative level to now the personal level. And he brings not just the message of God the Father to people, but he brings God himself to people. But then Jesus left, right? He actually promised that the paraclete or the Holy Spirit would be a better option for us than Jesus in the flesh. So then the Holy Spirit continues what Jesus initiated. So we've got the Old Testament prophets bringing God's word at an administrative level, Jesus bringing it at a personal level, and the Holy Spirit continuing it on forever. Look at John chapter 16 with me, it says this in verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Jesus just knows what people can hear and what they can't. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak, there's that word again, speak, only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. 
That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus is describing the future reality that disciples will experience like, I'm not going to be here forever, but the Holy Spirit will be. The Holy Spirit will regularly, consistently speak what I have spoken. So we have God of God of God communicating with humanity, fulfilling the first office, this prophetic office that's predicated on speaking. These words must get from God's heart to human ears. This is how God did it. The Old Testament prophets, administrative level, Jesus, personal level, Holy Spirit, the continuation for that forever. He goes at it again in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning the salvation, this is the words of Peter, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Jesus, Jesus starts with the disciples, but he knows it won't end with the disciples. He knows that this word of prophecy, remember, a prophecy is a word of comfort, warning, or prediction. Jesus brings all three. He knows that he must continue this office of, of constantly speaking, constantly communicating, constantly getting the words of God the Father into human ears. Now, if you think about it, that level of communication, if you're married in this room, that level of communication, that's, that's primary to the success of any relationship is communication. The relationships that you have in your life right now, the good ones are good because the communication is like top-notch. And the relationships that are maybe strained or suffering in your, in your life right now are probably strained because the communication is, is not all that good. So Jesus knows I've got to communicate regularly with my humans, with my people. Because if I don't, they're going to forget the sound of my voice. They're just going to forget it. Again, if you're a parent in this room, if you've got young kids, like even though your kids don't always maybe obey you, they do know the sound of your voice. Because you speak and you communicate with them regularly enough. The mouthpiece of God the Father is Jesus. The continuation of that is the Holy Spirit. The mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit speaks at just the right time and in just the right way. You and I live in a society where everything and everyone is speaking to us and speaking to us loudly. We live in the most distracted culture and environment in the history of humankind. We wonder why it's so hard to hear the Lord's voice. The reason it's hard to hear the Lord's voice is because we're distracted people. But the Holy Spirit is always speaking. We're just not always listening. So what has to change? What has to change if you want to hear God's voice in your life on a regular basis? What must change? Well, the first thing that must change is you must begin discerning what is the mouthpiece of everyday culture and society? And what is the mouthpiece of the Spirit? Because remember, the Spirit's always speaking. It's just that we're not always listening. 
And society, governed by the enemy, is also always speaking, and we are regularly listening. Listen to this. The mouthpiece of society is not white noise intended for your distraction. It is a coordinated effort on the enemy's part intended for your destruction. Do you understand? Do you understand how the society's voice is not white noise? It is just not filler space. It is not a noise maker. Like we've got this little thing in my one-year-old's room. It's like, I don't know, what is, what's it called, honey? It's a hatch? Okay, call it a hatch. And it makes like bubbling sounds and it makes like, you know, little mosquito sounds or you know, it just makes sounds. Probably not mosquitoes. <laughs> Poor Maddox. What the? F- <laughs> What's happening to me? But it makes sounds. Sound of water, sound of rain. It's intended for white noise. The society's mouthpiece is not intended for white noise. It's not just for your distraction. The mouthpiece of society is intended for your destruction. You remain distracted long enough. You remain distracted from the mouthpiece of the Spirit long enough, and you'll experience destruction in your life. Let's break it down like this. The mouthpiece of society will often sound something like the following. It's going to sound like this. You can be whatever you want to be. This is the anthem of our current generation. It's going to sound like, believe in yourself. These are the words of every commencement speech ever given. It's going to sound like, follow your heart, which is the axiom of pop culture. It's going to sound like, trust your instincts, which is like super bad advice from your well-meaning best friend. It's going to sound like, live your best life. The phrase in every chart-topping song in the last 10 years. I just kind of feel like the Spirit is saying lies don't need to sound evil to be untrue. You hear me? Lies don't need to sound explicitly evil to be untrue and distracting, ultimately leading to destruction. Some of you have been listening to the wrong voice in your life so long now that you've come to love the sound of it. You've been listening to to these phrases or phrases similar to these, and you're like, oh, I live by that. That's a good rule of life. It sounds just sexy enough, right? You're like, yeah, it doesn't sound evil. It sounds like it's got my good intended but it's distracting you so long that you're no longer able to hear the Spirit's voice. You can hear society's voice. The mouthpiece of the society is like, yep, I know that. I know that sound. I know that voice. That sounds familiar. I've I've been in that environment long enough. That sounds right. And all of a sudden, untrue things begin to sound beautiful. Some of you have been listening to these things for far too long. uh, I met up with some friends last week, and um, I had to deliver a chicken to them. It's a whole other story for a whole other Sunday. And we were talking about spring chicks, and um, they were going to raise some chicks. And then my, my friend looked at me and made a joke, and he was like, we'll raise chicks, and you have your fourth kid. And I was like, don't you speak that over me. 
I'm, we're done. <laughs> we're done. And we were just laughing about it and laughing about it. I thought of that last night and made me realize like, some of you need to have the courage to point your finger in the enemy's face and say, don't you speak that over me. Don't you speak that over me. He knows your heart can hear what your heart hears. Some of y'all need us to get the courage of heaven and point your little finger in the enemy's face and say, don't you speak that over me. Because it's untrue. Instead, the mouthpiece of the Spirit will sound something like this. Be as God created you. That's from Genesis 1.27, Mark 10.6. Believe in God's Word, Psalm 119, 160, and John 17.17. 17. Follow Jesus, Jeremiah 17.9. Trust God and His Word, Psalm 27. The best is yet to come, 1 Corinthians 2.9. <laughs> Can you imagine a church that regularly listened to the mouthpiece of the Spirit? Can you imagine the flow of power in the local church if everyone listened to the voice of the Spirit regularly in their life, opening their hearts, rending their hearts, opening their minds, their hands to the voice of the Spirit? And you will know that it is the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. The Spirit of God will only confirm and advocate for what the Word already says. Oh, some of you have been trapped by the mouthpiece of society. Well, God knew that. That's why He sent the prophets to speak words of warning, to speak words of comfort, to speak words of prediction over the Hebrew nation that needed guidance, that needed permission to go forward and after God. Jesus now took that administration and made it on a personal level and brought the word of God the Father to humans in a personal way. God of God, Jesus, the hypostatic union, fully man, fully God. And then the Holy Spirit continues what Jesus started forever. The mouthpiece of the Spirit is always speaking, but are you always listening? Or are you distracted? Are you distracted by the constant distractions of our everyday culture, our everyday society? You must allow the words of the living, breathing Bible, the Spirit himself, speak words over you that bring you to life, that encourage you, that call you up and call you out. They're words of comfort. They're words of warning. And Jesus has the authority to have words of prediction as he did all throughout the Gospels. Would you stand with me for a moment? Would you just stand where you're at? I just want to speak some words over you. Although we would not be so arrogant to speak words of prediction over you today, we are going to speak words of life and comfort and warning over you. I'm going to share a little story with you. The mouthpiece of the Spirit in my life, like the last, I guess, 36 years, has come in a really unique and unusual, but really touching way. It's a really unique personal story to me. It's I, I'm privileged enough to have a really, really healthy relationship with my biological dad. And ever since I was a child, my father would come alongside me and say something to the effect of, I love you. 
but he would add one word, always added one word, the same word. He's been saying it for 36 years. He says, I love you madly. I never forgot that. I've never forgotten that. He did it to me last week. I love you madly. That consistent voice in my life has convinced me that what he is saying is true. The Holy Spirit is offering you a consistent word. You just must listen to it often enough to believe it. Do you understand? And so let me just say this. Maybe every head could be bowed. Maybe every eye closed. You don't have to if you don't want to, but just find your place of submission in in this moment. I I just want to speak to the many humans in this room that need to hear something like, I love you madly. Hear something consistent, something life-giving a word of comfort, perhaps a word of warning. I I don't want to speak to the person in the room who's living paycheck to paycheck. I know that you feel like you're not going to make it. I want you to know that if you surrender your financial plan unto the Lord, you are going to make it. You might have to live watching every dollar for the next season of your life, but you are going to make it. Surrender it to the Lord. You are going to make it. I want to speak to the dad who's curious about his daughter. There's a dad in here that's curious about whether his daughter is going to make the right decision going forward. I want you to know that your daughter has listened to your instruction, even when it looks like she hasn't. She has. You should be so proud of her. There's a day coming. There's a day soon when she's probably going to look at you and say, hey, thanks, dad. I love you too. And she's going to make a bunch of stupid decisions like every kid does, but then she's going to grow up and realize that you formed her by your instruction, by your love. Just keep loving her, Dad. There's also a mom in this room who's super burdened by her son's decisions. And that son right now just keeps making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Your son, dear mom, has heard and experienced your love and God has heard your prayers. Your son is going to be okay. Keep being patient. Keep after God. Keep praying for your son. He has heard and experienced your love and leadership. Every son has a weird relationship with their mom at some point in their life. Look, he will be okay. I just want to speak to the person right now who feels invisible. There's a person in this room who's been going to this church now for like weeks or if not months, and you don't feel like anyone has seen you. I want you to know that the Lord sees you. The Lord sees you and the Lord sees your heart and sees your dreams and sees your fears. He sees you and guess what? He loves you madly. Oh, he loves you so much. And he sees you. And I know that you feel invisible, but I want the facts to reign over your heart. Tell your feelings to catch up with the facts. God sees you. I want to speak to all the women in the room who are going to attend the IF gathering next week. There's some people that are on the fence about that. There's some, there's some ladies in the room that are like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to make new friends quite yet. I don't know if I'm ready to quite open myself up to a new community yet. I want you to know that everything, every part of your heart you don't open up to someone else in, in your community is a part of your heart unknown, unseen, and unhealed. Be courageous, dear your sister. Maybe you can't go for logistic reasons, but if you can go, you you should go. I think the Spirit wants to speak to you in and through that community event. 
I want to speak to the people who are going to attend the April 26th Financial Peace University Outpost. There are some humans in this room that want to help you get out of debt, that want to help you manage your money well. I want to speak to you. I want to speak words of courage over you. You need to sign up for that. God opens doors for you not to look through them, but for you to walk through them. Take advantage of every opportunity given to you. I want to speak a couple more things. The one who needs community. There is a human in this room who is desperate for community. There's a person here that's just craving and longing for the friendships that are found in community. There's a mysterious blend of your initiation and the community embracing you at the same time. You must take initiative and step out in faith and join and participate in everything that is offered to you, okay? And then a final word. For the person who has pride and arrogant seeping and flowing through their blood right now, this is a word of warning. Pride always comes before a stumble, before a fall. Why don't you voluntarily go low before the Spirit forces you low? Can you imagine in a community of believers who regularly listen to the Spirit's voice, who had their ears tuned to the mouthpiece of the Spirit, I believe there'll be a community energized, equipped, and sent to make the kind of impact that God desires in our state and city. He wants to start with you. So God, in this final moment, as the band comes and and leads us in a couple more songs, there's a lot of people in this room that just want to hear your voice. There's a lot of people in this room that have been listening to the the voice of death, the voice of society, the voice of of evil. And and maybe it doesn't even have to sound evil to be unsure. They've just been listening to, to sexy lies. Lord, I pray that that person would begin to understand that I have been listening to the wrong voice and listening to the wrong voice for far too long. God, would you just help that person tune their ears to your voice's frequency? They'd find and hear your voice in community. They'd find and hear your voice in your word. Find and hear your voice in prayer. God, we want to be a church who regularly hears from your mouth. Oh, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for loving us madly. God, I pray that every human in this room begins to hear you and hear you regularly enough to have their lives defined by the sound of your voice. Oh God, may these songs of worship be pleasing to your ears as we sing. In your perfect name, the church says, amen.